welcome to the Saturday Nonstop Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor O'Gara. Marler, little did I know how much we have in common with Kelly Bryant. Why? Um, are we grad transfer quarterbacks who are going to have uh, prolific seasons and maybe play with a potential bowl ban hanging over our I got a year of eligibility, Connor. This is true. Uh, that is not why we have something in common with Kelly Bryant. It's because we didn't get rings from Clemson either. So, oh, yeah. I mean, we're all kind of in, in the same boat there. No, don't worry. We are not going to spend the entire podcast talking about Kelly Bryant in the ring that he did not get from Clemson, which has kind of been, you know, beaten to death, I'd yeah. say, by this yeah. point. Uh, we have a ton to get to today, a ton of like real actual news to get to. Um, found out uh, just recently before we came on about Tate Martell not winning the starting job <laughs> for the season opener against Tate Miami. Uh, not surprisingly, that is the number one trending topic in the United States on Twitter right now. I don't want to um, jinx it, but like this is a couple weeks in a row where stuff has broke like before the podcast. Don't, 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 don't say it. it. I already did, don't say Now it. it's out there. Okay, two is going to... Okay, now I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to throw that out there. Don't. Although, I guess yeah. maybe with me predicting it, it would actually work out pretty well and that it wouldn't happen. I just prefer we just don't say anything okay. about any of that just just because of the, the trend that happened this weekend in Tuscaloosa. That's fair. Uh, Uncle Chris is going to talk some moving lines, some big moving lines, some significant stuff, especially as you play some of your early season bets. We've got a an awesome, just an awesome interview with Dari Noka. I, I really, I, I can't say enough about it. We had so much fun with this. Um, Dari, somebody who had never been on before, but I think is quickly becoming a member of the Best Friends Club. Yeah. Maybe. That Doring and Peter Burns and then Tom Hart, I think they're all in. Um, I think I think Dari might might be uh, etch, it, it kind of wiggling his way into one of those spots. Just going to throw that out I mean, there. Our power rankings, Jordan Rogers, obviously still at the bottom. We'll work on that hopefully this season. You know, he's got time to improve. Um, but yeah, Dari's up there now. Dari's very, very fast riser on that list, that very exclusive list. Uh, we're, of course, going to talk about Brenton Cox going to Florida. Didn't get a chance to really dig into that uh, a whole lot. We, you know, Last week, the, the, with the timing of it, we did. Um, it just meant more, of course, with the Arkansas and Kentucky game uh, later, later uh, last week. So we didn't really get a chance to really dig into that. So we're going to talk a lot about just kind of what that means for Florida, what it means about the transfer portal, a lot of different things. But before we do that... We found out over the weekend that Bama is already down a couple of key players. Um, found out that Josh McMillan and Trey Sanders are both likely out for the year. Josh oh, McMillan n- was not likely. To be. They, they are. They, they are. They, they kind of left the... Uh, Ale.com had the report where they kind of left the, the door open. Just cracked ever so slightly for Josh McMillan. If it's Will Muschamp and he's got a torn ACL, maybe he'll be back in like a few weeks. I don't know. Um, but Josh McMillan is somebody who's obviously expected to, to do big things as an inside linebacker for Bama. Trey Sanders is more more of the household name just because number one running back recruit in the country. He, of course, made the declaration about him winning the Heisman as a true freshman this season. But he had a foot injury in the Thursday night scrimmage. And second straight year that the top running back in the country is not going to be playing as a true freshman. Last year, Zamir White suffered the season-ending leg injury. Of course, the Georgia back, who many people are excited about there. But, yeah, this news about Trey Sanders, I know it hit you pretty hard on Saturday morning when you found out. It's, I mean, it sucks because, you know, I don't... I, I, somebody said this early in the week, and I don't think it was about Trey Sanders. I forgot who it was about, but no one's ever going to feel bad for Bama fans. I mean, which is fine. Like, no one's looking for sympathy here. Injuries suck in general. It's just awful... When you see a kid 
that you, it comes in you're excited to see because he's a freshman and, and he adds all, all every Bama site or writer or beat reporter they all say the same thing is that one he was performing really well in camp and two he adds like a he brings an ad, or added or different dimension to the the running game or the offense they never really specified what that was just a heads up right. but apparently it's a different dimension um it just, yeah, I, I hate it because I think this is a position where Bama's already pretty thin at, which is shocking. Linebacker, we're going to get to the thing with McMillan, I guess, as well, but, like, that one almost hurts more because that's a fifth-year senior that is already been waiting, in, in, like, his turn and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and, and you that's we're, there's no other position on the field that Bama is more thin at than, than linebacker, inside linebacker. It's injuries on both sides of the ball that you'll see an immediate impact on it in 2019. And I, I thought that the when I heard about the Trey Sanders thing, my, my mind went to Derrick Henry. 2015 Derrick Henry. And <laughs> I, I know that's a, kind of a weird place to go, but I thought about Najee Harris and the role that he I expected him to have in this offense where I thought he was going to take on a, a bigger workload than we've seen by any Bama back really since Henry arrived. And this year now with this Trey Sanders injury, I think that 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 becomes a lot more realistic. Now, I'm not saying that Najee Harris is going to have 395 carries and win the Heisman Trophy and and do all those things. Not what I'm saying. But, you know, we're talking about a Bama team that, you know, the last three seasons, the most carries a running back has gotten in a season was last year when Damian Harris got 150 carries. That's 10 carries a game. That's it. Which is crazy. Yeah, that is that is that is pretty crazy. I mean, last, they did a really good job last year of of being able to split that up. Like usually, you know, Saban, especially in the early years, he was very like, notorious for having like a, a two back system, and yep. instead of just having main one main feature back, um, a lot of teams have that now and keeping guys fresh and all that kind of stuff. Last year was different because last year you had obviously Jacobs, um, who actually started like you know actually started games later in the year against uh, Mississippi State. And then Harris, and you also had Damian, or Najee Harris and Damian Harris, but they only had a combined 26 carries a game. Right. And which this, is odd. Yeah, this offense was a lot more pass-heavy. And I, I kind of tended to think that even before we heard about the Sanders injury that I, I thought Bama was going to try and run the ball a little bit more. And I, I think that there is more of a belief now, or at least there should be, that they want to use Najee Harris in a role somewhat similar to Derrick Henry. Now, before you say, okay, you got to, uh, you're you got an these, idiot. You know, the best, you got the best receivers in the country. I, I get all of that. I totally get We've that. We got sirens. It's coming in hot. Nice. Let's go. So, just just for those who don't realize this, Jake Coker had 393 passing attempts in 2015 okay. when Derrick yeah. Henry had that year. Last that was four, I believe forty more than what Tua had. Yeah, yeah. Than what Tua had last year. So for all those people saying, well, oh, then if you if you give Najee Harris all this work, then that means that you're just not going to throw with Tua anymore. Like, how's that going? No, no, that's not what I'm saying yeah. at all. I, I think there's room for both things to happen. And you know, Brian Robinson, who people are expecting to take on a bigger role now. Obviously, Saban praised what he did as a sophomore last year. He is now expected to have a a much bigger role without Trey Sanders. 
And he could sort of do what Kenyon Drake did in 2015. Maybe Robinson? not, you know, they're 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 similar. They're not they're not the same player, obviously, yeah. but similar in terms of the workload where they're getting eight to ten touches a game, and they're they're a factor. But you know, I just think that this is a year where you look at somebody like Najee Harris and you're like, why why not just give him the ball as much as he wants? This is somebody that he this is somebody who set up for the Clemson game. He was up front, he was frustrated with I thought his he was role. transfer. I, it kind of sounded like it. You wonder, what if Josh Jacobs had come back? I know that wasn't going to happen yeah. because Josh Jacobs was a first-round guy, but if Josh Jacobs had come back, is Najee Harris still there? I, I don't know. But, you know, you look at the pre-three, pre-year three, three carries that Najee Harris had, 178. Derrick Henry, before year three, had 207 carries. Derrick Henry, 10 pounds heavier than Najee Harris. Like, it's more than that, but yeah. <laughs> like, I, I mean, listed yeah, ass. Listed yeah. ass. And, and Najee's a big dude. Najee's a big dude. Najee's a big dude. People, yeah. people might not realize that as much just because we've seen somebody like Derrick Henry in that backfield and yeah. no, nobody's going to look as big probably as he did. Right. But my, my, my point being that I think that Bama last year at times sort of struggled with this hot hand approach. And yes, the talent was there. The depth was there more so than ever. But sometimes I think you just need to be able to say, this is our guy and he's just going to figure it right. out. We're going to let him wear down a defense. And we're not going to worry about you know who we have to feed, how many touches we have to give to this guy, to that guy. If they just say, Najee Harris, you're going to be our guy. We're going to give you 300 carries, which is an which would be an average of 20 carries per game. Right. You know, I, Let's just set it and go and see what we have. No, and I don't disagree with that. And it's weird to say that, like, there was a problem in the run game last year. But you're you're not wrong when you say it. Like, it, they don't have a problem really establishing the run or running the football. They average about 198 yards a game last year mm-hmm. rushing. Those top three guys averaged about 148. But I, so the top three guys from Bama last year had 387 carries for 200, or I'm sorry, 2,299 yards for so it's 5.94 yards per carry, 24 right. touchdowns. The reason why that's important now. Trey Sanders, it sucks. It sucks. I think that whole the biggest issue for me on that is that that Saban himself, who doesn't praise freshmen ever, never praises freshmen. He was, I think it was as late as Thursday, maybe like the, like when they were having reports, I guess from the day before, that he was saying how great of a job he was doing in preseason camp and what his role was going to be. That he was going to, you know, be used as a freshman and in the return game possibly, and also out of the backfield in Sarkeesian's offense. I assume. Especially if you see the offense last year and with two at quarterback, you're going to have to catch the ball out of the backfield. Why that's an issue with, with Najee Harris is this. Last year, Bama's, Bama's top uh, three running backs, they combined. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. For 46 receptions, okay? Najee Harris, Damian Harris, and, and Josh Jacobs. For 458 yards, three touchdowns. Najee had four. For yeah, seven but yards. I mean... Right. I'm not saying he has to be that guy. Like, you right. can bring in Brian Robinson to do that. If you look back at Derrick Henry's 2015 season, it's not like he was catching a ton of passes no, out of the backfield. I, I think there's agree. room to bring him on the field. I know you want to be, you don't want to be obvious with that. You don't want to be like, all right, Brian Robinson, you're our, you're our passing down back. You know, but they did a lot of that, that, that type of stuff with Kenyon Drake, where Kenyon Drake was, was considered the, the pass catching back right. in that backfield. So I think there's room for, I think there's room for, for Bama to just say, like, we're going to do something that's a little bit different. They just haven't done this type of thing the last three years because they've had that depth. It's been there. Yeah. Now it's not. And now how do you adjust to this? You've got somebody like Najee who's just ready to take this yeah. on and wants wants this role. Does Steve Sarkeesian say, 
this is what we're going to do in 2019. I realize this isn't the typical model and what we had envisioned, but can we make this adjustment and can this be something that ultimately helps our team? They won the national championship in 2015. Right. Like, and, let's, and, and so let's people, not forget that. People don't, well, I don't think people do forget it because of how ridiculous the end of that, that season was, but Derrick Henry became the whole offense. Okay, like it was he was he was he had like 43 or 46 carries against Auburn. But so but one one quick thing. So the the one thing I'll say about that, you're 100 percent right. He became that offense. He averaged 36 and a half carries in the last four games that season. Jake Coker in that (laughs) Michigan State game. Jake Coker against Michigan State. Lane Kiffin called one of the best games I've ever seen, and he absolutely balled out. And it was because Michigan State said, you know what, we're just going to load the box. We're going to make Jake Coker beat us. And sure enough, that's what he was able to do. So there is some benefit to at least establishing that and having that guy that you know that other team has to game plan for. Right. So so getting back to what I was saying about uh, the way they've used all three backs, I say I think you're right and I think you're wrong, and and I think it's going to be successful either way because Bama's talented on offense where – they don't have to, like, it's not going to be Derrick Henry-esque where it's like, you know what, here, here's 36 carries a game, like you said, yeah. the last four games of the year, at all. Because you have so many weapons on offense, and but you're 100% right when you say, like, they, it, it's almost at times last year they didn't know, like, they didn't have, like, a plan. It was like, all right, you know, we want to make sure everyone's happy or something like that. We're going to spread mm-hmm. the ball around, which is great. But it's tough. I, I brought this up when we first talked about this, this, uh, this topic off air. In the national championship game, I know Bama lost by 28, but where I felt that game was lost and like we didn't have a chance of coming back was when they stopped giving the ball to Najee in the second quarter. We he started ripping off big runs, just like he had done before in the 2018 national uh, national title game against Georgia. I mean, he's a very good back. He was the number two overall player in the country uh, coming out of high school. So I'm not questioning his talent at all, and I don't think the whole the whole like catching out of the backfield. I don't think that's going to be as important in Sarkeesian's offense. That was more of like what Loxley ran last year. And you look at what Sarkeesian did when he was the OC at, at USC in 2007-2008. And I realize it's a while ago. But when he was, the last time he was an OC, because I'm not going to count the national championship. Oh, you dug deep. I love it. Yeah. So so his running backs. This is when he had Joe McKnight, who was also the number two Rest overall in player in the country. And he was, yeah. But he was a incredible athlete. And mm-hmm. one, a guy you want to get in space. Not a guy you want to necessarily run between the tackles. The most receptions he had in a single year were 23 receptions out of the backfield for like 200-something yards and, and three touchdowns. In Sarkeesian's offense, he's not going to have the, the running backs necessarily be involved as much in the passing game. Not saying they won't at all, but not, not as much in, you know, as, as they were last year in Lox's offense. So you have that, which I feel, I feel a lot better about. And you also have the best receiving core in the country, and you have an offensive line that I think is going to be a lot better. And I think after last year's beatdown from Clemson, you're going to have a rededication to the run game. So I think so too. I, I really th- yeah, yeah, I believe that 100%. And I don't I, so I don't know if it's Najee getting 20 carries a game. I don't think he needs 20 carries a game to get over 100 yards first off. Probably um, not. But but you know, I think if if it's it'll be more so he will be a the focus. He will be the featured back much like Henry was, just not for the same amount of, of carries and yards. Yeah, not not 395. I won't, I won't go that far. It is still 2019. So, yeah, yeah that a whole, little bit different. The whole reason I brought that 387 carries, by the way, because Henry had 395. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's insane to, to go back and look at his numbers that year. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be quite replicated, but at least closer to that than what they've been in, in yeah. the last couple of years. Um, so, big news last week. Of course, of course this would happen. This is such oh, a man. great August storyline. Bretton Cox... On Monday, we found out was entering the transfer portal. By Friday, Brenton Cox, the former five-star Georgia linebacker, was officially a Florida Gator. 
That is how fast these things work. Welcome to college football in 2019. Now there is a five-star recruit on Florida's roster. So that was big, obviously. But there's a lot of kind of unknowns, TBDs that, yeah. that, that I think you look at with a situation like this. We, you know, we talk about the talent of somebody like Brenton Cox, who we expected to be you know, one of the next great Georgia linebackers. And now he's going to a situation with Todd Grantham, where obviously Grantham is going to want to blitz him at will. The question is, how is he going to be used? When, he's going, when is he going to be able to be used? All of those things. Right. But the situation surrounding Brenton Cox it's just kind of kind of murky, kind of murky. So we knew that he was suspended for Georgia's opener because he had a weed arrest in the spring. Like um, I said that, a weed arrest. <laughs> a weed arrest, a, a marijuana arrest. Which was found, uh, to be fair, he was found when he was not in his room and maintenance was doing, like, some sort of, I guess, maintenance in the in the athletic dorms, and they found it. Uh, what's the there's like a there's like an old family guy skit where they get pulled over and they're like small amount of weed and they, <laughs> right. everybody freaks out right um, so he apparently uh, initially the report was that he was dismissed from the team and then later that wording was he left the team and Kirby came out and pretty much said that he withdrew from the university right he wasn't kicked off right yeah. Now. So that was a little bit of a discrepancy there. The Athletic reported that there was some clashes with the coaching staff between he and the Georgia coaching staff. Um, not sure what exactly went on there, but the Athletic also reported that Todd Grantham reached out minutes after Cox <laughs> entered the transfer portal. Which I, I want to I just go back and find whatever camera could have been on Todd Grantham to say, oh my gosh, Brenton Cox is available in the right. transfer portal? Call him up, call him up. Like he you know, probably I wonder if that's pouncing. somebody's job. Like if that's an analyst's job to just be mo- so. constantly monitoring the, the transfer portal. And it makes sense if it is because recruiting, like we've talked about before, has become this endless cycle. But that's hilarious. Like when when this first broke, it, yeah, you're right. It was very murky because because I think I I think everyone assumed because of just where college athletics are for one, and the Georgia's past maybe. Um, you know, it's it's preseason. It's August. Losing a starter for the opening opening weekend or, or opening one or two games, it's tale as old as time. It's a tradition unlike any other in Athens. And with the transfer portal now, we expect right. this to happen more often. It's just yeah. a little bit easier to be able to do something like that because you can enter on Monday and you can be on your new team by right. Friday. Like that's that's how crazy this this whole thing is. And maybe some of it too was he realized that Nolan Smith was somebody who was obviously somebody held in a very high regard with that Georgia coaching staff, the former number one overall recruit. Yeah. And the last chance you star Jermaine Johnson, the number one JUCO player in the country, maybe they impacted his departure. What, whatever it was, what we do know is that Brenton Cox is at Florida now, and Dan Mullen wants him to play immediately. Right. Florida has already <laughs> applied for the, the waiver for immediate eligibility, and he Apparently, according to Mullen, he thinks that there's a pretty good chance that he's going to be able to play in 2019, which would be bananas. Meanwhile, there are people like Tennessee's Aubrey Solomon who are still somehow waiting if, from I mean, the NCAA. If which Mullen is wants maddening. him to be, if he wants him to be eligible immediately, he needs to tell the NCAA that that he is switching to quarterback, and they will pass it Boom. through immediately. Yep. Um, no, I mean, like you know, what, what was weird about this, and I was I, I was trying to say this earlier. One of the reasons it's so murky is because. Of the two teams that's in, that are involved, you know what I mean? Like he, we know now that he was not dismissed or kicked off. It wasn't, you know, he chose to leave, and and we also know that Kirby didn't seem too bothered by it. And there's just rumors, crazy rumors from stuff that happened with him last year involving like some, you know, now departed seniors and, and other stuff in the locker room and 
all these things that, that are always going to come out after somebody leaves. You know, of if course. you sign him as a five star, it's like, this kid's going to be a stud. He had two sacks last year and, and or had one sack and 20, 20 tackles in like a reserve role. As soon as he leaves, like, ah, you know, he was overrated. Yeah, exactly. But, that's, the, that's the way this thing always works. But him going to Florida is just such an, the ongoing gift that has been Florida and, Twi- Florida and Georgia social media and Florida and Georgia <laughs> Twitter is, it, it's, it's not going to end. It's, I almost like, I'm so worried about that, that matchup, that game. The threads, man. The threads. Oh if you think the threads are bad, yeah, just wait till the cocktail party rolls around. Good that is going God. to be something. Can you imagine the whoever breaks the news of his, um, of his waiver request? Whatever, whoever tweets that out, the replies on that tweet, whether, oh it's, God. whether he gets it or whether he doesn't, are going to be electric. Yeah. I will... Uh, we'll, we'll probably find out about that like in the next week. They'll rule on that because it's been a high profile. He's right. a former five star or something like that. Meanwhile, like Aubrey Solomon, who's been you know just he waiting was high forever. profile, former five star as well, right? But right. I mean, different different circumstances surrounding the transfer. Something that was done in a little bit more traditional fashion, not like right before the start of the season. Right. We're finding out about this, so yeah, that yeah. would be so typical of the NCAA. I, I think the biggest thing to take away from this, and and I don't often say this to Florida and Georgia fans, but guys. You both won. You both won here. So, like, just... I know you're not going to ever be happy for each other, but play nice. Like, you can always tell where a kid may have stood in that program by the reaction of the coach. Like, the fans are going to say whatever, but Kirby's response of, like, yep. Yeah, he's already commented on it twice. Best of luck. Like, he chose to leave. That's fine. He didn't seem too heartbroken about it. And it's a great pickup. You know, Georgia's loaded. Like you said, Nolan Smith, the, the number one overall ju- number one overall JUCO guy. It's a good pickup for Florida as well. But it's, it's a yeah. win-win. And perhaps that's why Dan Mullen has been so adamant about wanting to get this guy involved and like why they they contacted him so quickly. If there was if there was something big that was that he was that was he was you know that was being reported that he was kicked off the team for. Right. Obviously, we found out that he withdrew from the university. But if if there was something there that was bigger. Obviously, Mullen wouldn't be able to be like, yeah, let's get this guy eligible immediately. You know, uh, well, Neil Blackman just wrote a great. Well, I mean, there's there's something to be said too. Like Neil Blackman just wrote a great story over the weekend about how Mullen has been actively like, like very active in, in you know what's the the word I'm looking for, but you know I don't very, know. Act, he acted very swiftly in, in removing players on on Florida's team who have been accused of violence against women. Yeah, and there have been you know four I think four of the five cases where he's just said you know what. Bye, adios, see it right. right away. And so, right, like w- right after something like that comes out, if he were to then say, "Oh, Brenton Cox, like doesn't matter what you did, come, we'll, we'll let you play right yeah. away," that wouldn't have been the best look. So that tends to make me think that maybe you know this whatever went on with Brenton Cox, I, I don't know if there is something that was deeper than you know typical. I wasn't playing. I had this suspension. I didn't really get along with the coaching staff. If it's just stuff that's that small, obviously, then that made so much sense for Mullen to come in and say, yeah, you're a player that's crazy talented. You'd fit perfectly in our system. Let's get you signed up right away. No, yeah, agreed. And, and I, I didn't mean like the Mullen thing of like, we don't know if he would have accepted him, whether there was like, you know, some controversy surrounding it because of what's already happened at Florida. I'm just saying because in, the, in this day and age of college football, Winning is what matters the most, and I yeah, know, I'm yeah, almost no, like no. numb to it. It's a, you, you don't I don't always expect a coach to do, and this this is not the, with this specific case, but to do the right thing um, and have morals be like the the number one priority and bringing in a kid. 
and I realized right after I said that there are probably people who are yelling at their phones or oh, radios, whoever this listening, who are saying, "What about Jeffrey Simmons? What did Mullen do with yeah. that case?" Like, all right, so yeah, I understand, and this is this is about winning. This uh, obviously that's what that's how coaches act. That's not just a Mullen right. thing. But speaking of teams that impact Florida, Tate Martell is not starting for Miami, as we found out right before we came on this here podcast. This Miami, year. of course. Miami opens. <laughs> I like how I slid that in there. That was good. Uh, Miami opens against Florida in Orlando. That game is being played a week from Saturday. It is not Tate Martell who will be starting in Dan Enos's offense. It will be Jaron Williams, the red shirt freshman, who I'm sure just had his name Googled so much in the Definitely past by few me. hours. Uh, yeah, Manny Diaz, uh, the new Miami coach, came out and said that the passing was obviously a factor. And you got to remember, this is Dan Enos. This is somebody who just worked with Tua last year. Yeah. And had the, one of the most gifted passers maybe that we've ever seen in college football. And he probably looked at Tate Martell and was like, all right, you're a little bit more Jalen Hurts than Tua. Just just going to throw that out there. Right. Um, yeah, I was shocked. Just because, I mean, you know, the bravado and just brash. I, and I've already ripped this kid a new one from what happened at, at Ohio State when he was openly talking trash to Justin Fields. Subtweeting galore. Yeah, I mean, but but not not that much sub involved. It was very, very obvious. But Don't swing and miss, uh, dot, 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 especially not your second time. Right, right. Yeah. And then proceeded to enter the transfer portal, like, I don't know, a week or two later, tops. Um, that wasn't a good look. But I, I fully expected him, especially with you know him being, not just because he was a high-level recruit, but like, the rave reviews he had from fans, even last year as a backup at Ohio State, and coaches, like, and when you compound that with how bad quarterback play was at Miami last year, I thought this was a no-brainer. I did, too. I, I fully expected to be going to that opener, Tate Martell's first career start. I had the lead already written. No, not quite. But <laughs> I was I was ready to see that. I think college football fans were, too. That's why Tate Martell was the number one trending topic in the U.S. because people were... What? So surprised. Yeah, number one trending topic in the United States because Tate Martell is somebody that has a quarter of a million followers on Instagram and he's got zero college starts. And you wonder, why does somebody his have such a Tathan. big profile? Yeah, Tathan. I should be calling him by his full name. Don't, because um, it's the worst name ever. I mean, I, I just... Go ahead. So, like, Tate Martell, a lot of people right now are kind of on both sides of the fence. Some people are like, hey, this is a college kid. Like, why are people, like, blasting him and making fun of him so much? I saw Dan Wolken had something that was thrown out there as well. Great. Of I'm course, sure it was fantastic. I must Weighing read. in on this. But if you go back and you just look at Tate Martell's college timeline, and I'm not going to get to all the details, and I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff that, I, that I'll miss, but it kind of makes sense why he's gotten to this point. Yeah. If you... If you consider that when he was 14 years old, he committed to Washington. Yeah. Um, so that was in July of 2012. In January of 2015, he decommits from Washington. Then a few months later, he commits to Texas A&M. Um, eh, like nine months after that, May of 2016, he decommits from A&M. He doesn't want to be the next Johnny Manziel anymore. And then he commits he's not to... That yeah, he's not that good. Because he commits to Ohio State shortly thereafter. So he gets to Ohio State, of course, and he you know arrives there uh, January of 2017. He's got to sit behind J.T. Barrett year one, year two. He's not going to beat out Dwayne Haskins in that system with Ryan Day. He needs somebody that can throw. And then so after that season, and we find out Dwayne Haskins is, is going to the NFL, you know, rumors are, are coming out about Justin Fields transferring to Ohio State. And so Martell comes out and he says he's 100% sure that he'll win the starting job and that he won't transfer. This was the quote. 
It's been my dream since I was born to play for Ohio State, and I'm not just going to walk away from something that I put so much time into, and there's not a chance that I won't go out there and compete and fight for my job. On Twitter. Yeah, well, that was, he actually said those words, and then he tweeted out the whole, like, don't swing and miss, especially not your second time, whatever. Yeah. Two weeks later, transfer portal. Yeah, and then the whole immediate eligibility at Miami thing, he gets the waiver granted. So not only does he does he transfer to Miami, does something that, you know, he said he was going to win the starting job at Ohio State, but people have been kind of frustrated because we've seen all these different transfer, you know, transfer situations where guys haven't been granted immediate eligibility. And Tate Martell did basically because, oh, Urban Meyer, the coach that he committed to, wasn't there anymore and he wasn't a fit in Ryan Day's system, and that's why he's he was allowed to play right away. So there are all these things that, that go into this, and there's the the tweet, the DM that went viral about what he said about Nick Starkle at AM and how he was going to start over him and, and all these different things. Like, There's a reason Tate Martell has as big a following as he does, and it's not just because he's got some model girlfriend. It's because he's brought a lot of this attention on himself, and there's a reason that so many people took to social media to poke at somebody who has yet to start a college game. Yeah, um, your name's Tathan. I'm gonna start there first off. Tathan. Uh, if you are, ta- if your name is Tathan and you're that brash and arrogant, I mean, listen. I forgot who the famous quote was from like way back in like the 50s or 60s. Like, it's not bragging if you can back it up. That's fine. I don't care about players being, you know, confident or arrogant or whatever. The, everything he's done has been a bad look. Um, from you know, like if you want to transfer, transfer. Okay. Like how many? We talked about this. I think there's 23 of. How many how many quarterbacks are in the transfer portal that, are, that have been five stars? Five thousand. Okay, there's like it's like an overwhelming amount. It's it's more than half. Um, I wish I would have looked that up. Dang it! But like he's getting he's getting hated on because of stuff he's. It's the same thing that I, I brought up a, a couple months ago with like the Mullen thing and the transfer portal. He made himself a target, and now he's kind of having to to face the music on that, which is fine. Like he still might be the starter at some point throughout the season. Maybe this he is could like be. The, like, he could be. I have no idea. Now, what I will say is, again, shocked that he was not not the starter, considering everything that was you know surrounding the circumstance of him going down there. But you look at their offense last year, Connor. They they averaged 167 yards passing a game. Yeah, Malik Rozier was not the guy. He was not the guy. Well, and neither was neither was Nikosi Perry. Obviously, yeah. Like you know, when you have you have Jaron Williams who comes in. He was a highly ranked recru- a high highly ranked recruit. Who was I think he's like the top 100 guy, and he was a uh, you know elite 11 kid from Central Gwinnett, by the way. Oh, interesting. In our region, I hit a ball there, guys, one time. I'll be honest, it probably hasn't landed yet. No big Sick deal. Brag. But I mean, that kid, he he's obviously a talented kid, but he only has one career completion. It's amazing to think about Tate Martell, somebody who has just been so well known in the recruiting circles for so long. Yeah. He's entering his third year. He's entering his third year of college and he is still looking for that first start but this kind of speaks and Tate Martell's situation is just kind of peak college football in 2019 right I mean we're talking about somebody who has created this massive following this brand for himself a lot of it's social media driven without necessarily having you know this this college this college you know I I don't want to say body without actually having a resume yeah, I mean, yeah. he has the high school resume. He was the Gatorade Player of the Year as a senior at Bishop Gorman, obviously, and was Which somebody that was huge deal, big, big deal. I mean, nobody's doubting what he did at high school, and he was highly touted for a reason. But 
in 2019, you've got to be able to throw the ball. And if you look at the, all the guys who are like 5'10", and they're trying to overcome this height stereotype, all these things, guys like Kyler Murray, guys like Russell Wilson, and you know Kyler even Murray, Baker 5'10". Mayfield, if you want to go there, <laughs> Drew Brees, these guys are unbelievable throwers. You can't be this average thrower at 5'9", 5'10", whatever you are, and expect to be able to make it and to keep fooling defenses. And I'm sure that Dan Enos looked at this situation and said, who gives me the best chance to be able to stretch the field and don't and we'll make make defenses you know think twice about what they can do against us toughest guy to game plan against and if he feels we like have that's to not win. Tate Martell yeah that's that's not him and so Tate Martell maybe maybe somebody like Tate Martell would have thrived better 10 years ago than he is right well, now I, at least from an on-field standpoint it's still pretty early and again there's a long season ahead of us one thing real quick Baker Mayfield is 6-1 um allegedly no but, but what, what I will say about the Tate thing is is a lot of times especially in the preseason you heard Malzahn talk about this with uh with Knicks and, and with Gatewood is one of the, the most important things. Yeah, accuracy is a big deal. Passing for a quarterback, from what everything I've read, is a big deal, y'all. It's a big deal. That's a pretty big deal. But also, the leadership part of it, and, and I'm not saying that he's not a leader, but what I would say is the way your teammates perceive you and the way they re- respond to you trying to lead, it, that says a lot. And I wonder if, you know, Jaron Williams is, for one, he's 6'2". If, if his physical stature has something to do with it, um, I don't know, or if maybe you know he was not only outperforming him, but like the overall overall, I guess like sentiment and, and reaction from the rest of the team was more positive towards him, or you know I, I feel like that might have been what influenced the, the decision. And it's worth saying too that we should point. Yes, we point out how Tua really thrived under Dan Enos's leadership. So did Jalen Hurts. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Too. Jalen Hurts is somebody that progressed so much as a passer last year with Dan Enos. Maybe the same thing happens to Tate Martell. Maybe by the end of the season, we're talking about him in a much different regard. I'm not saying that he's going to all of a sudden be this dominant quarterback, but you know, the crazier things have happened. I wouldn't totally rule out something I, like that. So I wouldn't say that he's, you know, the guy's definitely going to transfer without a doubt, but obviously that's what everybody's going to go to considering where he's been in his career and what we assume, you know, if. If, of course, Williams ends up being the guy, he's still only a redshirt freshman, and if he keeps that job all year, yeah, Martel's probably going to transfer again. That's the way these things work. Right. But I, I will say this, and, and I'm going to quote Drake here, so strap in. Let's do it. One of the things that bothered me so much, again, about the Ohio, him leaving Ohio State was that whole, there's a, a, a line from Drake when he says, trigger fingers turn to Twitter fingers. And basically, like, if you're going to talk about it, like, don't don't just say all these things and try to build yourself up, like, again, with this over over-the-top bravado and, and confidence, and then not not even attempt to back it up. Like, like It's one thing to go compete and then lose, but it's one thing to say all these things and then not even compete afterwards. So sometimes being humbled is the best thing that can happen to a person, and especially an athlete. And, you know, like kind of having to, to sit here and face face the mirror, I guess, and, and have some like self-awareness of, you know what, I'm not, I need to improve in this, this, and this. Yeah. You know, if he, I don't think the best career move, if he's not starting by game four, I don't think the best career move is to stay at Miami necessarily. But one thing that would probably be good for this kid is some stability and to stop leaving when he faces adversity. So at some, because at some point, like you're going to get a lot of, a lot of pushback in life and you can't just keep running away from it. I'll trust me. Let's let's set the over under on games that Martell starts in college. I'll set the over under. I don't know if. Did my bookie come out with odds yet? I don't know, but oh, I'll come out think. with odds for him. Six and a half is the over-under. I'll take it me. over because he'll end up going to like Liberty or something like that. 
Oh, Hugh Freeze. <laughs> you know what would be fascinating? This won't happen, but this is like my hypothetical dream scenario that I thought up. If Tip Martell transferred to Ole Miss and we got him playing for Rich Rod and competing for a job with Matt Corral, that would be hard knocks. Just bring hard knocks there right now. Let's just get a camera on those three guys the entire time. The yelling that would go on at practice. Yeah, I mean, if you I mean, if you watch that QB one show when he was on it, it was not great. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, it was very evident early on that he was not necessarily. He wasn't. He's just not that likable of a guy. That means he's not a hard worker necessarily. He's just not hasn't been that likable. I will. You know where I think he'd be a good fit at is is Mississippi State. Hmm. Joe Moorhead needs a thrower. Joe Moorhead needs a thrower. That was his whole problem with Nick Fitzgerald. I disagree. Yeah. He always says he needs a thrower who can run, not a runner who can throw. Needs so a thrower, that's, that's not a shower. Am I right, guys? No. Wrong, wrong Mississippi school. Um, that'd be that'd be interesting. But yeah, I, I, I do think that you know, maybe maybe he will find some sort of some sort of second life. Uncle Chris, we've got moving lines. Big time moving lines. You were you were on top of these, you're like, we gotta talk about this. What were the big, big rivalry game moving lines that we should be aware of? Okay, so this is this was uh, pretty fascinating to me. Um, I will say it was not fascinating at all to my fiance, who had to hear about this for a lengthy <laughs> period of time yesterday. But Sorry, our our, uh, our coworker um, and good buddy uh, Michael Wayne Bratton. I always use all three names because it seems like the right thing to do in the South. Yeah, SEC Mike on Twitter. Go follow him. I guess if I mean if you're gonna go follow someone on Twitter, make sure you're following us first because he has like fifteen thousand followers. Okay. Um, regardless, he's really good at what he does. He, he brought this up, and these are from Westgate. Westgate is where I was a few weeks ago uh, at the Superbook out there at the, uh, for my bachelor party. It's incredible, Connor. It's the, the sports book is incredible. Regardless, they came out with their lines. There were some surprises, and, it, and the reason why I think this is important is because Vegas is always pretty spot on <laughs> with their assessment of sports betting in general. And what that means is, They've taken there's a these line movements are yeah from like big betters and sharp betters and all that kind of stuff for them to move as drastically as they have, but it also tells us a lot of what Vegas thinks about certain teams heading into the season, and right. it's a lot different than it was back in May when some of these lines first came out. So um, we we had a few that we posted yesterday on Instagram and that stood out and it's the game of the year lines in quotes. Um, the biggest line shift or biggest uh, line movement was Bama versus South Carolina. It opened at eighteen. And moved to 23 and a half. Wow. Yeah. So South Carolina, I'm trying to think of what would have changed in the preseason because South Carolina hasn't had some major injury. Their running game has gotten better. Um, that's that's an odd move. And all we've heard is that Bama, I mean, Bama is the team that has two major you know, key contributors that have been lost for the season. Why would something like that move so much? I mean... So when these first come out, and, and remember, this is this is something I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here necessarily, but there's Do there were several lines that I said on this show, on on Danny Cannell's show with McElroy, there's several lines that I said this if I if I could if I could spend all of my fiance's money, or I could bet everything my fiance owns, or whatever, it's this game, Georgia, Florida, uh, like a couple other ones like that. They make these lines so early now, just for I don't know if it's entertainment or if they because there's no way they can get that much action on them. Um, since their future bets, but there were a few that just seemed like lazy picks, and this was one of them. And you know, South Carolina is the only team that Bama doesn't have a current winning streak against. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. Or they they beat Bama the last time out. I forgot the stat, but like, I don't know if it has something to do with that. And people are being too nostalgic about 2010. But that is a ridiculous line. 
I think 2010 is uh, is far from the minds of anybody who's who, who's betting on on that game on South Carolina to win that game. And I think last year too, what what happened against Georgia, you know, where that that game had so much hype, and we're talking yeah. about South Carolina as this sleeper team, and they, and they just get the doors blown off, and you're like, oh yeah, these teams don't line up well with the line of scrimmage at right. all. And well, maybe and I, there's yeah, there's some belief that Bama will do the same thing that Georgia did probably. And to be fair, Bama did win like I think every single game in the regular season last year by 20 or more points. But the thing with South Carolina also, and, and it, I, they get hated on a lot because of the preseason hype that came in with them last season, and then they kind of, you know, I don't want to say fell on their face, but it didn't go as well. But they also they also are getting the benefit of coming off that game against Clemson, you know, where Bentley threw for 510 yards. That did so much for the perception of this team and what, they, and what Bentley could be as a passer this year. People have totally forgot about the 28-0 loss to Virginia. Um, anyway, so moving on, another one, this is a, a rivalry game here, I guess. It's not really worth talking about that much, but it was a massive, massive movement. Was Georgia and Georgia Tech, that opened at 20 and a half. Remember us talking about that? Oh, yeah. Jumped to 25 and a half, which seems about right. Hmm. <laughs> that seems high. Um, I mean, but no, at the same time, like, why, why was it only at 20 and a half to right. start? Right, I completely agree. So you'll like like you'll like this. The three teams in the SEC that Vegas has said the most about with these line movements, okay? Florida, Auburn, and Mississippi State. Florida, not necessarily a positive thing from what we've heard from Vegas. You have lines that have opened up uh, against Auburn. Line opened at Florida favored by seven. It is now at three. Uh, they opened up as a four-and-a-half-point underdog against LSU. It's now up to seven. Uh, and again, the Georgia one that I told you was the absolute lock. I would bet everything I own at three-and-a-half points. Georgia was served by three-and-a-half points in the Georgia-Florida game, and it's now moved up to seven-and-a-half as well. And you know what the most telling one is, Connor? This is crazy. The Florida State game, which is played in Florida, okay, they were a 14-point favorite when that opened. It's now down to 10 Against Florida State Why? at home. I have no idea. So that's that's like a cause for concern for me as somebody that's way too into gambling It for what Vegas is saying about Florida. And again, it's this preseason. They're not always right. But it's it's been consistent across the board that people have been moving away from Florida. Um, which is Watch how that week zero game impacts that, though. I mean, oh, yeah. seriously. Like, and so I, I be, like, we're gonna, we're, I'm going to name drop here. Went on Feinbaum last week and talked about how how much that Week Zero game can really shape some of the, yeah. some of these narratives with Florida, just because it's going to get the big spotlight. We always overreact to these primetime games yep. that are played at neutral sites early in the season, and it can do a couple things. It can, even though Miami is not Miami peak Miami right now, obviously, what that game can do is it can kind of make us very quickly forget about what's been, you know, not an ideal offseason. That's not a media narrative necessarily. I know yeah. Florida fans think it is, but Dan Mullen would even come out and admit it has not been a perfect offseason in Gainesville. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. And we could all of a sudden move past that if they blow out Miami in that opener. And then all of a sudden we're talking about Florida just in a, in a different light. Maybe maybe some of those lines would move immediately after. And you would look to that Georgia game. And if it is sitting there at seven, maybe it comes down a point or two. And we're yeah. like, oh, man, like Miami just got smoked by this Florida team at a neutral site. And maybe we've probably been writing off my, uh, Florida a little bit too much. If Florida fans... Got to experience a blowout of Miami in the opener. Do you be... think they would? Do you think they would go on social media and, and share their feelings about it or no? Now listen, there's been two games that I've pointed out to, and I've said that like are my favorites. If I had to bet on one, it's again Georgia beating Florida and covering that three and a half. And I also said Florida covering the seven and a half against Miami. You I think I'd be worried too. with the hook. Like I, I don't think it's going to be close. And like I said that very early on before I 
really knew that much about Miami, and and I know a little bit more now, and I still stand with what I said. Like, I mean, Florida's going to destroy Miami, in my opinion. And they might present some problems up front for them, but you're, yeah, you're spot on with this. I'm already worried about how social media is going to be afterwards because it's going to be a lot of overconfidence. Um, But, yeah, it's, you know, I don't think Florida – I said they were going to take a step back this year. I don't think it's in terms of necessarily wins or losses. I think it's in terms of challenging to be elite. I think they're still a year away from that just because some of the people they had to replace. That That's mainly what I mean. Um, how about Auburn, though? So Auburn had several lines shift in their favor. Surprisingly, there was, there was no movement in the Oregon game to start the uh, year. It's still at like two and a half to three in most books. Interesting. But they moved by four points again in the Florida game. Um, they moved, I believe, four points in favor, or three and a half points uh, from six and a half to being favored by 10 on the road at Mississippi State. Hmm. Um, the Bama line did not move, but the biggest surprise for me was the Georgia Auburn game, which opened at seven and a half, has gone all the way down to four. Georgia's yep. by four in that one. That's a, that was kind of surprising for me. So obviously, Vegas is high on Auburn. And the last one, Mississippi State. And there were a couple lines that moved in favor of Mississippi State that didn't seem very surprising like the old miss line opened at 13 and a half, 13 or 13 and a half and is now up to 17 that seems about mm, right from where those two programs could be i would take old miss right now on that i would i would pounce on that that 17 okay and I mean, that's not because i necessarily think old miss is going to have that good of a year i just think that game just produces weird things all yeah. the time maybe it's the fact that it's like know, being thanksgiving yeah, like like quarterbacks getting into fights and end yeah. zones and all these crazy the things. Southern accent you're going on is great. Thank you very much. I th- I've been work I've been workshopping that a little bit. There you go. Um, no, but I think I think that is uh, that's not surprising to me because of where Ole Miss's program is at and you know how they looked last year. What did surprise me was the game against Bama, the home game um, on November sixteenth. The line moved in favor of Mississippi State by two and a half points from twenty to seventeen and a half. So that was kind of, kind of impressive. They're uh, sipping my Joe Moorhead Kool Aid that I've been sending out. You know how they send out the bobbleheads for the preseason Heisman You've contenders sent, who are yeah. playing for like Group of Five schools or something like that. I've been sending out Kool Aid to every single odds maker, um, just basically with a, a picture of Joe Moorhead's face on the front of this bottle yeah. of Kool Aid, um, and they've been drinking it obviously. So good to see that they've been sipping that. It's been okay. pretty, I don't really pretty know good what time of year that for meant, but, but I will say um, the, la- the, last, <laughs> the last one. So just so we don't exclude the rest of the conference, the, the one that did, the line didn't move as much, but it's going to be a very, very uh, hot topic uh, in a couple weeks here, and that's LSU in Texas. And that line has moved from – it opened at two, which I thought was low. LSU, LSU favored by two. Yeah. And it's down to a pick where it's, it's between – you know, Like, yeah. It's, so that's – and, and I think – and LSU – like Vegas has been like they've been on LSU like their line moved in favor of LSU against Florida the line I think dropped a point maybe against against Bama and shifted in their favor like you know not by a lot but you know by a half point to a point in games against like A&M and Mississippi State and those kind of things um this was kind of surprising to me it is that's a that is a true road test for sure uh and maybe as SEC fans were having we're not doing a good enough job of giving Texas the credit they deserve I don't know but, but that the, you know, the thing with Texas, though, like least experience of any Power Five team in the country, least percent or lowest percentage of returning production of any Power Five team in America, and that game is being played Reach. in Week Two. That's oh, the reason that positions. I would have questions on that. No, just uh, across the board, they rank 120th, I believe, in the country in percentage of returning experience. Well, that like, doesn't that's, make any sense because Ellinger was 
I know. He had like eighty percent of their offense last year, and he's back. Uh, not, not quite. And it kind of factors it factors in a lot of other things besides just like how many yards the yeah. quarterback accounted for and all those things. But yeah, they're very. That's that's why I would look at that game and I would still say LSU would be where I'd want to put my money. I don't care that I'm giving that pick away. We've been saying that all off season. Go yeah. ask Peter Burns what he thinks about that that matchup in week two. Well, he's a little bit biased, but I mean, you can just ah, ask us, guys. Um, Let's ask Bo. We'll ask Bo what she thinks of it. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I, but I agree with you. I would take LSU on that. And then the other one that should be no surprise at all, if there is a surprise, it's the fact that it didn't go up by more. Is Georgia went from nine and a half, uh, favored by nine and a half at home versus Notre Dame to eleven and a half. I think that's going to be a bloodbath. I'll be honest with you. So it should be. I mean, gambling's right around the corner, y'all. Or if you're well, like me, it's just everyday thing. Never sleeps like basketball. Soon you won't have to be betting on preseason football games. You can be betting on actual college football. Crazy concepts, right? Yeah, Falcons have been really bad preseason. I'll say that. Moving on. Yeah. Um, let's go to uh, our interview with Darinoka. As I said before, he provided some just some great insight on the development of SEC Network, what it's been like to transition off from Sports Center, uh, some fire takes about Oklahoma. Just great conversation. Dari was a, a fantastic guest. So let's kick it to our interview with Dari. Before we throw it to our new best friend, Darinoka, I uh, want to talk to you guys about our friends at Sweet Hop. The start of the season is just around the corner, and this year our favorite SEC teams will be taking the field at pro stadiums throughout the South. You've got Bama at Mercedes, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. You've got Auburn at at t Stadium in Dallas. And South Carolina is at Bank of America Stadium. And the Dogs, the Gators are going to be playing at the cocktail party. A couple might couple people might be there. That game, of course, in Jacksonville. These road games present the perfect opportunity to enjoy the game as a group from your very own private suite. You can get away from the student crowd and toast to the team by booking a suite at Sweet Hop. Pull into the best parking, skip the lines using the VIP entrance, and enjoy a full spread of food and beer right in your suite. It's your space to enjoy, totally free from rowdy underclassmen covered in body paint. That's the sweet life, y'all. View availability and pricing at sweethop.com slash kickoff today. That's S-U-I-T-E hop.com slash kickoff. All right, Darinoka. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a first-time guest, in fact. Uh, it is SEC Network anchor Darinoka. Dari, I-, I was looking at your Wikipedia page, and I saw that you have the title Lead Anchor. Um, how often do you remind our good buddy Peter Burns that you are the lead anchor of SEC Network? And please tell me it's daily. I will. Uh, I will tell you it's never. That is not something. I, <laughs> I never, uh, that is something I never, ever, ever bring up. Um, I just. I, I just have to hope he knows. <laughs> That's the best I'm going to do. <laughs> If there were if there were odds though, I mean, like in all seriousness, if there were odds on who was uh, I was most likely to see on SEC Network, if I just flipped on the channel at a random time, I think you would be the betting favorite. So for those of for those of us who don't really understand the full extent of your on-air duties during the season, can you provide some insight as to what a typical fall week looks like for you? It's not. Yeah, absolutely. It isn't nearly as. Uh, I'm not in that building nearly as much as people think. Um, you know, realistically, my fall it looks like looks like this. I, I, I do SEC now on every Tuesday night, um, and then in, on Friday night, uh, I do SEC now. Then with uh, Doring and Chiswick, my comrades, on Saturday, uh, I go in to do my radio show on ESPN Radio, Dari and Mel, uh, which we're in, in almost in year ten now. We're finishing up year nine with me and Mel wow. Kuyper. I, I go into yeah. work early Saturday mornings to do that, 
go home for a few hours, and then I come back, and from 4 o'clock on Saturday night, it's uh, me, Doring, and Chiswick there. So during the football season, I mean, realistically, I'm, I'm in the office about three days a week. What people don't realize is that every time I move them along to further action due to time constraints, I'm not actually live <laughs> in the studio. You know, we, the, la- the one that's running now that people still bring up all the time because they literally think I'm in the building at 420, like in the morning, where it's like, oh, crap, we got some boring football coming up. Let me go move you ahead to further action. I'm not in the building. We taped that like three years ago. I I think I was 10 <laughs> pounds heavier and had longer sideburns then. I, I don't know, man. But yeah, it's, it's really not as hectic as people think. People really think that. You got to love SEC fans. Uh, <laughs> well, they're, they're like, You're you know, in my TV like, box, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, man, you work all the time. No, I really don't work. So, so take me through more of like your pre-show or morning prep because this always fascinates me. Like, is there is there like a song you get like pumped up to, or is it like an owl now brown cow thing? Is it like getting lost looking at like the perfect waves of Jordan Rogers and Chris Doring's hair? Like, what what is your pre-show? routine do you realize what you just did you just put Doring's no hair, we can cut it Doring's out hair, same sentence you can't cut that out you cannot cut that out because <laughs> i'm gonna make sure Doring damn sure hears that and he will oh, never yeah. ever erase the smile from his face ever you just literally uh, have Doring. You, you made him smile for the rest of his life so that's cd's cool. my boy as long as jordan rogers doesn't know he complimented him that's fine <laughs> well <laughs> i don't know if he'll take that as a compliment I love my man Jordan, but now Jordan's got some hair that's, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's otherworldly, quite frankly. So, n- normal day, I mean, I get into work, you know, probably eight hours, six to eight hours, depending on the day before the show. Uh, you know, sit down with my producer, who 99% of the time it's the same same guy in football season, a guy by the name of Brad Buchanan, another Okie uh, like me. Um, and we, we kind of oh, wow. go over the show. We go over show ideas. We, we end up having a meeting with our staff that includes our analysts. We, uh, you know, we just kind of finalize, finalize everything. And then we sit down and, and uh, you know, kind of start writing stuff. Uh, if we have interviews to tape, we'll go tape those interviews. Um, one of the great traditions on Friday is a little game we play in the studio called Guess the Spread. We play that in the newsroom, Brad, Doring, and myself. And we'll bring Chiswick uh, in, I think, this year on it, where – we do everything we can over the course of the week not to look at a single Vegas spread. And then on Friday, um, we go head-to-head. Somebody gives us the game, we see who's closer. Winner gets absolutely nothing except a hell of a big <laughs> smile for the rest of the night. You know, we have random things. We have a great time. Saturdays I go in, I literally walk in, I go right to the set. Doring and Chiswick are already there. They've been there with Burns. Um, and we watch football together. And Saturdays in the football season are the greatest days of my professional life because we have eight televisions on and we're just watching football coast to coast, and it's and, and then every now and then we jump on and do a little TV, and it's fantastic. It's probably hard to imagine right now because this is such a routine for you, but you know, it wasn't that long ago that SEC Network just wasn't in existence yet. What's it been like to kind of be there from the ground floor to watch this thing build into what it's become today? It's been cool, man. It's you know, I, I was doing the uh, when it was just a syndicated network, you know, that popped up at 1220 or whatever time it was on a Saturday or 1120 central time or 11, I guess, and, and straight up noon and we do 20 minute pregame. And then, you know, we, we tossed to whatever game was going to be on the SEC network Saturday package, which literally, depending on what market you're in, it could have been on your ABC, could have been on your CW, could have been on whatever 
channel it was. You're NBC, who knows? But um, so I was doing that for a few years before the actual network started. And, and I remember, I mean, you know, my boss at, at ESPN said, we want you to we want you to be the guy on this thing. And Mike Slive, uh, you know, said, I want you to be very heavily involved in this. And, you know, I, I, I emceed the announcement in Atlanta about a year plus, a year, probably 16 months before it actually launched, that it was going to be a real 24-hour, seven-days-a-week thing. Um, yeah, man, it's you know, it's been great. It's uh, it's one of those things, aside from doing the syndicated SEC Network stuff, I was doing ESPNU. I was the, the lead host on uh, ESPNU. And uh, that's what I left Bristol for after seven years of being up there. And, uh, and, and life in Charlotte, actually, too, was another reason I left Bristol. But that that you know i i actually had the option to, to keep doing the espnu thing or go and do the sec network thing and i i bet i struggled with that for two weeks maybe and i look back now and i'm like why was it even a decision and it's not a slight on espnu by any stretch it's just like this was a home run cannot miss network with the you know you know sec fans i mean with the fans that we have in this league that won't just watch when we're talking about their team, but will watch when we're talking about any of the other 13 teams in this league because they actually yep. truly care about that. That doesn't exist in any other conference in the country, and I've worked around pretty much all of them. And um, it's a pretty special thing which made this network, you know, uh, an easy can't miss. So for those who, who don't know, but I think a lot of people do, you know, like, you, you were obviously on SportsCenter for, for years before you did the SEC Network, the ESPNU stuff. You know, people yeah. like Marla and I, our generation, we grew up watching SportsCenter. I still watch it for about 15 minutes every morning as I have my avocado eggs and black coffee. Um, but you, you, sp you spent so much time doing that. And I imagine, you know, like making that transition... <clears throat> It's it, it's got to be a it's got to be different besides the obvious you know what you're talking about where you're doing it but what is the biggest difference between what you're doing now and just the the whole sports center bubble and and really what it was in yeah. its heyday? Well, th there's a few differences honestly. Um, I loved hosting that show and like you guys, I mean, I grew up watching it. You know, I studied broadcast journalism in college. You know, it wasn't so that I could be, you know, a weekend sports guy in Seattle. It was so that I could host sports. Center. And right. that was the goal, you know, and I got fortunate enough to have that chance. And I was in Bristol seven years and I did sports center, you know, probably 80% of my weeks for six of those seven years. And, um, I loved every minute of it. You know, the, the, the first time you're, you hear done and done and and then you look at the monitor and it's, and it's my ass on that screen. Like, what am I doing here? You know, like, yeah, that, that you know that hits you the first time you walk into that studio, which was you know a studio ago now for them. But um, no, man, you know that that stuff is real. Like that stuff's like, oh my god, I actually accomplished something in my career. I got to where I wanted to go, and it was great. You know, along with that comes a lot of stuff that I didn't necessarily care for up there. There's a high level of um, of of competition. There's you know, you don't really always know kind of where you stand. There's so many people that do exactly the same thing you do. So what do they value? Who do they value? And it's really kind of a hard thing to figure out. And, um, you know, so aside from what you're talking about, yeah, I'm not, I'm not on TV. I'm not talking about the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball. Aside from that, you know, doing the SportsCenter thing was like, okay, dream reached. I realized my television broadcasting dream. But now what? Well, I've you know, had a family. We didn't really love living in Connecticut. Weather 
sucks most of the year. It's a little more expensive yep. than we feel like it yeah. should be to live there. <clears throat> Where can we be happier, right? And so the opportunity kind of roundabout way, and that's another story in itself, how I ended up actually in Charlotte, but but I could I could live in a in a in a what we deem a better place, especially for, for the family. I mean we can have a much nicer home for the same cost that we were paying up there for something smaller. We could uh, at the same time, I would have an opportunity to go to a network, and at the time it was ESPNU, and kind of be the, the lead person on that network, where I could wrap my arms around something, have a real say-so in the product, in the content, um, and not necessarily kind of just show up to a sports center meeting, Here, here's what we're going to do, and here's how we're going to do it, now let's go. And so there were those were those are a lot of the things that are different. And I'll be honest with you, here in Charlotte, you know, in Bristol, there's so many shows going on on so many networks, so much of the time that everybody's kind of got their own little thing. Everybody's kind of, I'm, yeah. I'm a sports center guy today, or hey, I'm doing OTL today, or whatever it may be. In our place, we're all on the same page. It's a smaller building, it's a smaller group, but it's a really, really good, talented group from the bottom level up, and we're all on the same page. We all have the same exact goals. Uh, there's really not a high level of competition, or you're not looking over your shoulder at anybody. It's just a really comfortable place to work, and I love it. That's a that's a great answer. That I was. also feel now really bad about myself since that's where I, I went to school. Enough. Yeah, no, it was good. <laughs> that was good. It was good. We need to skip ahead uh, through further. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's I, it's funny because now I feel bad because like I, I went to school for broadcast journalism and switched to liberal studies, which was a great move. But um, you know, like that was always like my passion. So like all jokes aside, best advice you would give some to someone who's starting to get, you know, on camera more or wants to be in the position that you're in, um, you know, like what is the best advice you can give not only on reaching that goal, but also while you're on camera? Um, uh, well, that's, that's good. A lot of the advice is stuff that it's hard to teach. Uh, you got to be comfortable. I mean, that's first and foremost. Like if, if you freak out because a red light comes on, you're toast. You're done. You're, you have zero right. shot in this. Go do something else. Um, no, you've got to be comfortable. You've got to be, um, you've got to, same time, my favorite line, you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes sense. If you are doing a live stand-up and you slip up on something, keep going. Poke a little fun at yourself. It's not the end of the world. Dude, you're on TV. We're not talking about, you know, world, right. you know, we're not talking about world wars or politics, thank God. You know, it's sports. Like, have a little bit of fun. Be loose. Be yourself. Bring the audience in. Those are just things that I think sometimes you just you can either do that or you can't. It's probably driven by your personality, and I would say your your level of confidence as well. Um, if you're somebody who starts to freak out at the thought of people watching you, I, I would say find something else to do. But there's also a level of like you just got to be good. You got to be able to deliver something smoothly. You've got to be able to adjust on the fly. Um, you know, one of my favorite lines as well is and and I've told countless journalism students around different colleges around the, the country this. There's a lot of people that are in your classrooms that can have everything go well, read off of a prompter when there's not an issue. But what do you do when the you-know-what hits the fan? What do you do when the wrong video runs? What do you do when you go to black? What do you do when it's the wrong soundbite? You toss to a Tom Brady soundbite, and for some reason, Case Keenum's talking. What do you do then? Like, that's how good you are. That's what 
that's what kind of separates, I think, the, the, the good ones from the ones that are very, very average. Like the worst word in this business, and, and I think it's probably true in any business, I don't ever want anybody to refer to me as being solid. I think solid sucks. I think anybody can be solid. I love you that. need to be able to stand out somehow. I thought you were just going to tell me to lose weight, but I like all those answers. <laughs> that too. That's one too. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Along those lines, well, sorry, is there? Yeah, is, I mean, if I'm like standing in a college classroom and I'm being brutally honest with the students and like we all want to be on TV, and I, you know, I would look around and I'd say, okay, good. There's 40 of you. Okay. Um, now, how many universities have 40 people that want to be on TV that are in junior year, second semester right now? And then let's see how many jobs are out there. I would say have a backup plan, but you know, you can't. You, can, you don't want to poo-poo on somebody's dreams. Dari, is there is there a story that stands out like a you know it, it did hit the fan and you were maybe you were on Sports Center maybe you're on SEC Network you had the wrong thing come up on on the teleprompter whatever it was and you're just like oh my god we'll do it live that moment <laughs> like what what was that moment for you? Fortunately, I haven't had one of those moments that uh, will be replayed on YouTube forever. Not not really, but I I mean yes, like stuff goes wrong, it happens, you know I mean. Stuff that other people screw up, stuff that I screw up. Oh crap! I ran right over this soundbite. I was supposed to lay out for, you know, I was supposed to lay out for Barry Odom, and I ran right over it. Like those things, nothing stands out like you know the Steve Levy bulging disc moment. You know, except he didn't say disc. <laughs> those types of things. Um, fortunately, I haven't had one of those yet. But yeah, I mean, like almost on a daily basis, either because somebody in our crew had a slight flub, or more often. I had the slight flub. I uh, didn't lay out when I was supposed to. Or I read the wrong VO, whatever it may be. Yeah, it happens. It happens. But you just, you know, you you just kind of move on as smoothly and comfortably as you can. Okay, so one area that you do not mess up at all. We've discussed this on the pod before. I think we talked about it with Peter Burns when we were in Birmingham. You say Albert O's last name flawlessly. Like, you lean into it. It's it's unbelievable. Can you say it for us with the same confidence in which you say it on air? I, I, I can absolutely try. Uh, we'll probably have it a few times this year, right? Kelly Bryant across the middle finds Albert Ogwebunam for the touchdown. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, Chills. When you have a name like I have, it's important to try to pronounce other people's names correctly. That's it's just one of those. That's, that's a really good point. But can you yeah. spell it? No, no, no clue. Okay, me neither. <laughs> no like your pronunciation, <laughs> your, your pronunciation of that is so good that I think that you should announce his name on draft night at the NFL draft. I think that oh. we should really try and get that going. We'll uh, we'll do some talking. We'll we'll try and get that to happen. Would you be on board with that? I, I would be if if we know that I'm actually correct on that, and that's another piece of advice. Wait, <laughs> what? At least act like you're right. You know, I, I've never gone up to Albert Ogwaebunam and said, "Am I pronouncing your name correctly, Ogwaebunam?" Ogwaebunam. I've never done that. Now, if I and I'm going to do that, the first time I interview him this season, I'm going to do that, and it'll be live <laughs> on TV, and I won't tell anybody that I'm going to do that, including him. But he may say <laughs> that it wasn't right. But I am committed to Ogwaebunam. And so, damn it, I'm going with that. Good to and know. If everybody else thinks I'm right, then great. I hope he says it's Orgeron. <laughs> now, I have done it to Orgeron, it's, and, and that's Orgeron. It's, I asked him live on TV uh, the first year he became the head coach. I said, 
I've heard Orgeron. I've heard Ogeron. I said, how do you say it? And he said, well, in, you know, in Cajun, it's Ogeron. 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 So I, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I go Ogeron because it's the closest thing to it. Because that's the other thing that happens. Like, if we're in the middle of a story and I'm asking, like, you know, I'm asking Marcus Spears, you know, what did you think of the way uh, Ed Ogeron ran the ball in the first quarter against Alabama? <laughs> the focus on the question goes out the door. Like, he's not going to answer the question. He's going to look at me like, dude, do that again? So I, yeah, I go what? Ogeron. Because I know it's not or. He told me it's not or. It's O. All right. Well, that's, that's good to know. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny because now that you're saying that, the, I think like the one time, so like the, the Tuesday morning 7.30 Eastern slot that I do on SEC this morning, when you were hosting, you asked me like live on air, is your last name pronounced O'Gara or O'Gara? And I was like, I don't yeah. think I've ever had anybody ask me that live on air. I've had people just like, just that still to this day will say O'Gara every single time. And I'm not going to correct them, but like you're the only person I've ever heard that actually did that when I was live on air. So that, that was like... I, I, I remember that because even though that was months ago, that, that's a good tip, though, to remember. Yeah, I mean, like, you want your name. It's your name. It should be pronounced correctly. Like, I don't – I get dairy. I get dory, like the fish. I mean, I get all that like stuff. Starbucks. Like Starbucks. You know, Nalkaha. I mean, people try to pronounce every single letter of the last name. I get, look, if I didn't know <laughs> me, I wouldn't know how to say it either. But – you know, I, I just, I, I believe somebody deserves to, if you don't know how to say it, at least ask the person. And I've never had somebody look at me and say, dude, you really don't know how to say my name. Like, they're happy to tell me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that's true. So you're you're an Oklahoma grad. Um, I'm sure you've got mm-hmm. some high hopes for Jalen Hurts. And, you know, it, it's kind of strange, though, because I feel like in college football, we have this tendency to find the flaws in everyone and everything. I mean, even Tebow had obscenities chanted at him pretty much everywhere he went. Can you remember a college athlete that's more beloved than Jalen? Wow, that's a good question. That's Thank more, you. wow. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I would need to think about this, but at this particular point, I, nobody jumps off the page as more beloved than him. And we know why. I mean, it's it's the way that he has handled every single thing that has been thrown at him. And um, never had a single issue off the field, ever. Every teammate ever. he's ever had loves him to death. I, I, boy, oh boy. In the last 15, 10 years I can think of, I would say no. I think it's fair. I, I mean, I still, I still am, like, heated. Because as a Bama fan, like, when everyone overreacted last year to what he said at, at Fan Day, when he's like, well, no one talked to me about this, and blah, blah, blah. And like, it was like taken kind of out of context, and people ran with it. And all the fans kind of assumed that he was just like being a baby about not starting. It was like, man, he could not have handled that with more grace. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, at least he's honest, you know? But he's not honest yeah. in like, he's not honest in a jerkish way. He's just, right. he's a freaking college kid who wants to... Who wants to, you know, who wants to be the guy, and he doesn't know, and he's going to tell us he doesn't know. But it's in no way, shape, or form did he throw shade at Saban or, or any of the offensive staff or anybody. No, I, I you know, and then this year, right now, you know, as Lincoln Riley says, I'm not going to name, I'm, I'm named him starting quarterback. We all know he's a starting quarterback, and, and yeah. you know, Lincoln's got a guy that's sitting behind him um, by the name of Tanner Mordecai, who is a really talented kid out of the state of Texas, who's been there three years, and. Frankly, he doesn't want him to leave. 
Um, and I don't blame him for not wanting him to leave. Yes, the job's going to be Jalen, but, you know, I'm sure Jalen is handling any of this perceived uncertainty um, the way that he did for his time at Alabama, and that's class and grace, and he's just a good dude, and we like good dudes, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's why it's okay to cry after that SEC championship game, Connor. But moving on, <laughs> um, so Oklahoma, Daria, Oklahoma has an incredible tradition, great fan base. I got to meet a lot of their fans last year uh, at the Orange Bowl. We did some stuff down in Miami. They were great. What's been oh, the yeah. biggest surprise to you covering the SEC coming from Oklahoma? And what's maybe the biggest misconception SEC fans have, besides not understanding how TV works, about the Big 12 or the rest of the country? Well, I would say the biggest thing that surprised me when I started to get more involved with the SEC is something we kind of touched on earlier, and it's how much – it isn't necessarily how passionate the fans are. I think I always kind of realized that. I, I realized that as it pertains to Bama and LSU and Auburn, Tennessee, uh, Georgia, you know, maybe it's a little bit more so than I anticipated with, like, the South Carolinas of the world um, – I knew A&M from my time in the Big 12 and their time in the Big 12, but um, but it's, it's how widespread it is, and, it's, and it is the fact, you know, like, I, I grew up an Oklahoma fan in Tulsa, and, and that was the place I always knew I was going to go to school, and I went to games with my grandparents, you know, all the, they had season tickets, and I would beg him to, you know, them to take me, and, and, and I, but I, not, not one time do I remember as a kid thinking to myself, or even as a, frankly, as a college student, thinking to myself, okay, I know OU won, but what's going on with Iowa State? Like, I, I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care point. what Kansas did. I didn't care what Colorado did when they were in our league. Well, like, no one cares what care. Kansas does. Right. Nobody. <laughs> but in this league, the fact that, you know, an Alabama fan, will their ears will perk up and they'll be like, oh, wait, 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 what's he saying about A&M? And an LSU fan will be like, no, I disagree with his take on South Carolina. Like that's just that is unique uh, as unique gets, and I didn't really anticipate it being that when I when I came here from from well, I came from Bristol, but I, I would have never known that if I had never left Oklahoma. You know? Yeah, that's fair. That's literally how I got the job. Is I interrupted a conversation with our boss. I was like, "Do you say something about Auburn?" And my whole parts really? of the job. Um, yeah, he, he was. I, I was just up there at work, and and I, we never got to talk football up there because it was like a very buttoned up. It's called it was Houston's, and and I just heard someone say Auburn, and I think like Athens, and I was like, go on, and and so right. that was how the whole thing happened. Yeah. It's it's so. So easy. I don't mean to like put up. Go ahead. And all that stuff. I mean that's just that's that's what makes this. That's part of what makes the conference. You know. Um, an absolute beast beloved inside its walls and disliked outside its walls. And I think that's, yeah, that's also just as fun. So I don't mean to put salt in the wound here, Dari. Um, when you were at Oklahoma from, I'm assuming 95 to 98. Oh God. 94. Yeah. 94, five, six and seven seasons were the four years I was a student there. Okay. So they never uh, had a 18, winning season. 18, 18, 27 and one. Those are the numbers. You yeah, have. that was yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, that's which is crazy. And you left, which I mean, thankfully, for, I, I'm not sure if you left on your own accord or if they asked you to leave for good luck. Um, because two <laughs> years later, they go off and, or three years later, I guess they go off and win the Natty. So yeah. and they and ever since they've been one of the most dominant programs in the country. What SEC team do you think is most likely to possibly make that same kind of success transformation in the coming years? 
A and M. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, and and but like, I, I realize we're different places here. I mean, when I was at OU, you know, I, we had three different head coaches in the four years I was a student. Like nobody yes. remembers Howard Schnellenberger coached the season in Norman. Oh hell yeah! Forgot about that. Nobody, you know, nobody. Uh, you guys might. Very few people remember that. You know, Gary Gibbs, Howard Schnellenberger, and then I had the first two of three from John Blake. I mean, that was it was terrible. Like it was at we waited for basketball season, and we weren't even that good at that. I mean, it was really bad. Um, so when I say A and M, they're not coming from the depths that we were, and we being OU here. There, but. But when I when I look at the league, and I see a team that is that is middle of the road ish, that I think will be the next to win its first title as an SEC team. Let's see if that makes any sense here. I don't want that. Oh, that, that works. I take that part back because I, I would put Florida in the same category as first. You know, oh. first title in a decade, right? Since the Alabama run began, Alabama and Auburn, and since that run began. I think A and M will be the next one to win a championship, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't like it, but yeah. <laughs> so, Darby, I mean, I've got one more question. Alabama. Like, you know, I, I do. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious to see Tennessee's build. Yeah, that's uh, what I was thinking. Yeah, Florida, I think, is interesting. Uh, although I'm telling you, there's going to be far too many eyeballs on what's going on in you know off the field in Gainesville if this crap doesn't yeah. stop. But you know, um, but I think A and M is suited with its resources, with its recruiting base, with Jimbo as, as the next one. Yeah, can't disagree with that. Um, so, speaking of Florida, last question before we get to Family Feud here. Um, there's a rumor that Chris Doring doesn't put on a shirt until right before he's about to go on air on Fall Saturdays. Like when you walk in there, he's you know shirtless, doing whatever he's doing. Can you <laughs> confirm that our buddy CD treats the Earth like it's his beach? C- yeah. <laughs> CD always comes into the office with a shirt on. Uh, on. He uh. always wears a shirt. He always Allegedly. has a shirt. If he, we, he would not be allowed or welcomed into a building without a shirt on. That doesn't mean that he doesn't want to not have a shirt on. Like that, if, <laughs> there it is. If he can get away with no shirt, there's no shirt. And I get it. Like the dude's mid-40s. He works out like a madman. I mean, it's he ridiculous. looks great. Like yeah, he looks ridiculous. It's 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 unbelievable. So good for him. He's earned every right to never wear a shirt. But when you're in the workplace, yes, even he has to wear a shirt. He put on IG the other day, like video of him pushing a sled, like at some like private workout facility. I'm like, dude, you're in your mid forties, man. Like, there's no yeah. way that normal people should still be able to do this. But I mean, I guess you know if you if you got it, flaunt it. But yeah, CD does well, what he's gonna do. That's just he's a freak. Yeah, with with, C, with C, the the. The uh, phrase that age is but a number, that applies nowhere more than with Chris Dorn. Like, he yeah, has zero idea he's in his mid-40s. He actually has... Should have run him on the bachelor party. Sure, he's older than, like, 23. Yeah, I agree <laughs> but, with that. That's, that's <laughs> Like, I mean, he, he's living his best mid-40s life right now, and good for him. He should that's good. We're gonna so we're gonna get you out of here on Family Feud, which is um, a game that I made up. It's never been used before. Um, no, we do we do it every week. It's it's uh it's just ten rapid fire questions. Um, there's not really a valid point system, but we'll keep up with some points along the way. And you just say the first thing that pops into your head. Are you ready to play? Yeah, let's play the feud. Let's go. 
So, and keep in mind, we, we've done this with Tom Hart, Peter Burns, Chris Doring. Connor, who else have we done it with? Oh, that's a good question. Did, From, did it with Tony Barnhart last week. Um, I think Feinbaum, yeah, Feinbaum played Family Feud too. So pretty much everybody. Well, has not willingly, but yes, Feinbaum did it one? once. Um, <laughs> Do I have a certain amount of time? Am I timed on these? I'm going to say it's two minutes, but it really doesn't matter. This has been enjoyable anyway, so we'll go as long as you want. It's 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 oh, um, yeah, cool. just like a rapid fire first first thing. Yeah, it's not it's not really like Family Feud. I just didn't get creative with the name. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> All right. All right, let's put two minutes on the clock, Connor. Let's actually do it for real this time. Your first question oh, crap. here. Time. Now that's pressure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Connor, deduct one minute. We have one minute, ten questions. Um, no, I'm kidding. First question. If you were a character on The Office, who would you be? Uh, probably Halpern. Probably Jim. Okay, good answer. Good answer. Uh, this is actually a, um, a guest Submission for a question from our buddy Chris Doring. Describe your style of jeans. Dad. Okay, he said no mom. Doubt. <laughs> he said that about me. He sucks. Okay, what else? <laughs> <laughs> my clock. Okay, that's it. Let's a... go. Okay, okay, my Bucket list concert. Oh, that I haven't seen before. Uh... Do both. Metallica that I haven't seen before. Oh, what about your best concert you have seen? I'm an ACDC fanatic. I've seen them three times. Yes. And every time I nice. can't hear when I leave. Love them. That is awesome. That's a great answer. Hold on. You know, keep it going here because we have played it. We'll add some time on here. Favorite album? Honestly, the one that got me going is ACDC Live. Uh, that was the one that made me a okay. fan of theirs in 1990. I'm a late arriving ACDC fan by, by that standard. Okay. We'll, we'll take right. some points off because Let There Be Rock was the, the actual answer, but that's fine. Um, fourth <laughs> okay, fourth I'm question. Not a bon Scott guy. I'm, an, I'm not a Bon Scott guy. I'm a Brian Johnson guy. I, was, I didn't care for them when it was Bon Scott, for what it's worth. So We're going to end the interview right now because that's where we cross the line. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Okay, fine. fine. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Um, okay, start, bench, cut. This is basically the equivalent of kill, marry, blank. Start, yeah. bench, cut. Doring, McElroy, Jordan Rogers. Don't do that. Don't do that. I can't well, tell one. I'm not answering that. I don't care how many points that cost. Okay, let's do it again. Uh, Doring, McElroy, me. Okay, cut you. <laughs> Doring, McElroy, you. Oh, I yeah. can't even do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start Doring because I work with him more. Okay. Bench McElroy. And then, yeah, cut McElroy, bench me. That's fine. That's perfect. Okay. Um, yeah, whatever. That's, that's a good answer. <laughs> Give me one hot take or one big upset you're predicting for the 2019 season. Iowa State is an absolute lock to play in the Big 12 championship game. Ooh. Texas Sorry, remember earlier back. when you said no one cares about back. Iowa State? <laughs> What's that? So remember earlier when you said no one cares about Iowa State? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I, I think, you know what I mean by that. No, I'm kidding. On a national level, I, I like that. The Big 12 title game. You're confusing me now. I like that. I like that. That's good. That's good. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, okay, we have five five questions, I think, left. Uh, so here we go. First one, who is more high-strung, Ed Ogeron or Mel Kuyper? Uh, Mel. Definitely Mel. Not even close. Okay. Yeah. That's a very good answer. Oh, awesome. you, should um, you should hear our in-break conversations every day. Oh, my God, he's great. He's, he's fantastic. He's the best. He never stops working, I feel like. Um, 
Okay, so next question here. This is settle a bet, uh, since you also cover college basketball in the, uh, I would say, offseason, but you know what I mean. Rank yep. these college basketball programs in order of most to least attractive for potential head coaching jobs. Alabama, A&M, and Arkansas. Connor, pay attention. Um, Arkansas, Alabama, A&M. Fair okay. Enough. Wow. That's stand corrected. Did not see that coming. Um, okay, three questions left. If you could cover one athlete from before your time on, on TV, uh, who would it be and why? Babe Ruth, so I could spend a few nights out with him. Oh, yeah. Very good answer. I like that. Um, okay. Actually, Favorite no. game day. F- go go ahead. Brian Bosworth. Same reasons. I, oh, I thought yeah. you were going to answer that, and then I was surprised that you didn't. I was going to say, what about the Boz? And I was like, no, just let it go. But, yeah, good way to circle back to that. That was smart. Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to change this. I have something different written down, but I'm going to change it now based off the Bosworth answer. I want you to say in in one sentence, would Marcus Dupree have been better than Bo or Herschel? What if I just want one word? Yeah, it's better. That's probably a better way to do it. <laughs> no. Oh, oh. It's two weeks in a row we got that. Okay. All right. Last but not least, um, and just know that no matter how you answer this, I'm going to find a way to, to do it. So choose your answer <laughs> wisely. Can we come up for a weekend and watch a Saturday slate of games in studio with all the TVs while you're in the TV box? I'll hold Chris Doring's shirt. Hell yes. Anytime. <laughs> Boom! Let's do it. You know, let's add these up real quick. That is, we might have a new high score here, Connor. That is sixty nine hundred points. That is, that's a very Holy good score. Cow. Oh my! Yeah. Really? That's incredible. That's, uh, even usually, it's I, on a scale of like a one hundred, so that's big. That's great. <laughs> Dari, we we do appreciate you coming on. Um, we know that your your season right now it's it's pretty much full swing for you. Once August turns around, you got a lot of stuff that you're going to be doing, but. Um, we're gonna have to do this again. This was really, really fun, man. We'll uh, we'll do this again sometime in season. Yeah, guys, I'll jump on any time, man. But I do need to go move somebody ahead to further action. So it's good to talk with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, sorry, man. <laughs> See you guys. That was a a lot of fun having Dari on. Somebody that. Our, our, for whatever reason, our, our paths just haven't crossed like that much yet to be able to kind of do some stuff with him. But right. we 100% need to make a trip up to Charlotte. That was my takeaway from that interview. Yeah, I mean, we're going regardless if they if, you know, give us a formal invite or not. I'm just going to show up. We'll ride our bikes there. We don't yeah, care. It's like cousins showing up to a wedding. We'll be there. Yeah. Um, something else we need to do this season. We need to talk about our good friends at Texas Pete. The, the long overdue Texas Pete conversation that we need to be having. Reunited feels so good. So good. I mean, I think, honestly, the only thing that excites me more than football season is tailgating season. And you guys know me well enough to know that, they're, you know, outside of my fiancé and queso, my dog, not the food, a few things I love more than Texas Pete. So every single week on the podcast, we do a Q&A with our listeners called Fourth and Wrong. And one question I get almost every single week is, what is your go-to tailgate food? And every single week, I try to think of the most eloquent way to say, I don't care as long as it's something that's doused in Texas Pete. Okay, fried chicken, yep. Uh, potato salad, yep. That buffalo chicken dip your Aunt Karen has brought for like 17 straight years to the tailgate, yep. 
Uh, just like singing fight songs or yelling run the damn ball at the TV every third down, Texas Pete has been a staple of my fall Saturdays since I was a kid. You should make it a staple of yours as well. Now listen, this year, I'm not saying every team's going to go undefeated, but what, what I will say is this. Yes, they will. Sure, absolutely. This season, there are no losses, y'all. Just Boom. sauces. Just sauces. Oh, Sauce like you mean good. it with that's Texas okay. Pete. If you can't stand the Pete, stay out of the kitchen. Marler, guess, guess how many times I've had Texas Pete today. You're going to be so impressed. How many? It better not be more than me. Twice, baby. Let's go. What? Get good on my you. level. Had it this morning. Had some eggs, potatoes, biscuit, left over from a nice Sunday breakfast that we whipped up. And then, of course, my usual chicken sandwich that I have for lunch, douse it in a little Texas Pete. Yeah. I am I am full on the, the Texas Pete train. And that's not part of the ad read. I'm I'm legit, like, fully on board. Yeah, without a doubt. I'm, I am too. And you know what? At some point, we need to put up those pictures. Our, our good Australian friend, Tommy O'Rourke, has been oh, sending yeah. us. So if you guys remember Tommy, Tommy was the, the guy we brought on who won Bowl Mania, I guess, last season. He's from Australia, right? No, he didn't win Bowl Mania. But we he finished like third, but he was the, the one who responded to, yeah, that's right. what it was. So he is currently on his honeymoon, which apparently has gone on for like a month. I, Unbelievable, I, it's right? It's ridiculous. And he's like, he's going all over Europe. Uh, it looks like a pretty incredible trip. And what he's been sending me from places like Santorini or Paris or the Amalfi Coast, all those places, is just very candid portrait shots of him and a bottle of Texas Pete that he brought with him. Because you want to bring that flavor with you. Tommy O'Rourke is essentially a Texas Pete influencer at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's weird for me to say that because I thought that's what I was trying to do with my life. But I, I mean, think he's kind of taking the thunder it. on that. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. Anyway, let's get to fourth and wrong. Uh, we're going to break some heat with these questions, or hopefully you guys are, since each and every week we ask you to submit questions or advice that you want answered, non-football related. And, uh, you know, okay, I didn't forget because I was being irresponsible or lazy today. I did forget again, though, for like the third mm-hmm. or fourth straight week. This time, closer than ever to the, the deadline of when we're going to record. It was like an hour and a half for the way to record. We had like over 50 submissions. 50? Yeah, there's no, I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating. There's like over 40 on Facebook alone. Regardless, there's no reason for me to try and like remember to do this every week because you guys bail me out every time. Thank you for that. You got to join the very... Facebook group. That's that's the key. Join the Facebook no group and that's that's going to be your best chance to be to be heard on, on fourth and wrong and to save Marler at the last second. Yeah, for the love of God. Um, the first question is from arguably uh, the best or most unique name on our Facebook group from Robert E. Lee III. Uh, I said, what do you tip for terrible service at a restaurant, or do you not tip at all? I know this is bad. This is going to sound so weak. It's such a Boy. beta It's such a beta move on my part. I, I always get at least to the point where they could round up to 20%. Even if it's bad, even if, unless it's like horrifically bad, service yeah. is something crazy offensive or something like that, and it's like noticeable, I'm going to be talking about it for months and months. I'm still getting to at least, yeah, if somebody, if somebody said something offensive, like, oh, hey, oh. you're shorter than your wife. Yeah, I'm shorter than my wife. What Who'd about it? But if somebody, it? if somebody said something like that, that just kind of, you know, got under my skin a little bit, something like that, I would still probably tip 20. I would still probably find a way to get to 20% because that's, I'm I, I usually stay between 20 and 25%. Yeah, so that's, I'm shocked that you're answering that in a rude way, but I just, because a lot of people are, are, they go. They they tend to lean towards the opposite of what you just said. Um, with this, I, so I I tip twenty percent. That's bottom line, standard. Like no that, matter no, what, that, no matter what, no matter what. Now there was one time last year. I think it was like the first like the first Falcons game of the year, like <laughs> opening night for the NFL. We went to Hudson Grill and our server walked by us. It took I literally timed it for over an hour and five minutes 
in between like checking up on us to get more food or drinks or anything like that for an hour and five minutes. So I did throw down like $41. That's all I had of cash in my, my pocket. And then we left. But other than that- Was the bill $41? Who knows? And I don't really care because it didn't have to come out of his pocket because I've worked at a restaurant for long enough to know that they don't make you pay for stuff like that. Uh, And they honestly probably should have in this case because he earned that one. But um, I I mean, yeah, for me, like 20%, I always always go that way just because it it doesn't excuse necessarily, but there's, I'm sure there's plenty of people. You guys have seen the videos I've posted on Instagram of me filming myself, telling jokes in like the walk-in cooler. Like there's several days I probably wasn't on my A game and everyone goes to their own stuff, but- yeah, twenty percent. Yeah, it's just, it's it's just because once once you know those wages, you're like, yeah, they they kind of need the the, the yeah. tips. That's how they make that's how they make their money. And even if they don't do the best jobs, they they mess something up. Sometimes it can be the chef's fault. Right, it's not just them. Like I try and give them the benefit of the doubt. It's not easy. I to do. One time I got stiffed on a like a two hundred dollar bill because a lady asked for uh, for her side. She asked for extra pork chop meat. I oh, like, I want that side. That's that a real good. thing. Yeah, that would be great. But we didn't have pork chops at all. Uh, for one, and then two, we didn't have extra sides of meat. That's um, like a great restaurant. Can't like offer the that service. 1300s in England right now are just serving up platters of meat nonstop. Oh, Regardless, I'm go back in time. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on. So the next question is it's another customer service related question from Jeremy Fisher. What is the worst customer service you've ever received? Had one time where my friends and I were at the place that we went to for for fireworks for Fourth of July every single year. And I think I was in college or was like a freshman in college or something like that. Table of about eight or nine of us did not get waited on for um, pro- like got like got our initial silverware. Half of us got silverware, and then never to be heard from like ever again for like over an hour after you that. Sat there for an hour. Just sat there waiting, like trying to request people, like, "Oh yeah, we'll be with you in a minute. We're busy." It's like, oh, God, that's like a reoccurring nightmare I used to have as like a but, server. But that's so like that's the Midwest in me. Like I stayed yeah. and I still was like, "Oh, you know, I I, I kind of get what they're going no, through." No, it's, okay, it's okay. It's okay. Right, that, that's a good question. Like follow up real quick. What is like? What is your cutoff before you will leave? Oh, it depends. How long if were you I, there, if Connor? I get, when did you leave? <laughs> okay, because we were going to be there for the fireworks anyways after. That was the tough part. We, we weren't going to like go to another restaurant and eat. We were yeah. going to be there for the fireworks that were like right outdoors. after. It was like it was one of those, they have indoor and outdoor seating. We were indoors at the time. But if I'm just going to a place, like I've, I've been to a couple places where if I don't get service in like 10 minutes or something, yeah. then, then I'll leave because they ha- it's not like I'm like going out on like a tip or like leaving on the bill or something right. like that. But they clearly are not in any position where they can, they can, it's not a good sign of things to come if you're not getting waited on for 10 minutes there. I've walked out after that though. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't want to sound like all pretentious or high and mighty because of like the restaurant job that I had for so long. But like the one thing that was great about that job is it provided so much structure because everything was like on a time standard. And we, you had to greet your table within 30 seconds. And it was like one of those places that did enough business to where like they had secret shoppers. And if you didn't do these things, you were going to be fired like, right. on the spot. So I've, I'm like, I'm terrible about it. Like that's my biggest thing when I go out to eat is like I will sit there, pull up my phone and like and, and time it, see how long it takes. Because it shouldn't take more than like two, three minutes. And yeah, so I'll leave after 10. That's that's like that's a, yeah, standard. I will lose my mind after 10. Um Anyway, worst customer service I've ever received. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> like, I I would think uh, one time when I was trying to pay my student loans down, I changed my password after a late night, and I was out way too late, and uh, decided to log into my student loan account. I don't know if I was paying something or not, but I got locked out of my account because I forgot the password, and then I couldn't pay my student loans for like two months because I couldn't physically get into the account. They refused to give me 
a new account until I verified my identification and had to like send in these forms. And I was like, hey, guys, no one's breaking into my account to pay my student loans. No one's going to do that. Like, there's no what Robin a nice Hood out here. Yeah, be. for real. Like, like, actually, you know, this has been a reoccurring problem, so we can't really do that. Um, that was pretty awful. And I remember the worst part was I was explaining it to him, and they said I answered my, my question, uh, my security question, wrong too many times, which was, what was the first car you owned? And I'm, it's a 95 Buick Regal. I was like, I remember that car because of how awful it was and how much I got made fun of in high school. This is true. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Let's see here. Next question from Chad McKee on Facebook. Should adults wear jerseys? I go back and forth on this. I think it's kind of a tough look if you're if you're like over 40. That's that's kind of a maybe a little <laughs> bit of a cutoff point where yeah. you're like, ah, you probably can't get away with that as much. Just Do you have to because be in a certain kind of shape. What's that? Do you have to be in like a certain kind of shape? No, no, okay. I, I don't. No, I'm not going to body shame if you want to wear a jersey or something like that. Okay. I think it's more of an age thing because I think it's once you're significantly older than people. Or right. on the flip side, so like my grandpa got a jersey. He got a Cubs jersey with the last name Burn for his 95th birthday. That's and he cool. Wore that, and it's like, yeah, like all right, my grandpa can wear wear a jersey like you know authentic Cubs jersey like that, and he looks good doing it. But yeah, there's there's probably some sort of like. If you're f- between f- the ages of 40 and like 65 or 70, God, maybe you that avoid be, it. That'd be a sight to see just like somebody in the nursing home like rolling up in like a Julio Jones jersey. <laughs> I love it. That'd be great. <laughs> um, no, I, I would agree with that. I used to have like I very, very anti this, um, like, for, like across the board. But I think you're right. I think there's like different circumstances where it's acceptable. The NFL – that's like a big deal in the NFL, I guess, which I've never really got. Because for me, it's weird. If I'm wearing another grown man's jersey and we're the same age, it's different if you're like 17 and, and you you know, you know aren't the same age as somebody that's performing like on a football field or baseball right. field. Like that's, that seems weird to me. Um, but I think like, you know, one of my favorite shirts for the summer, because it, it's mesh and helps the sweat, is like my throwback Ted Williams Every jersey. week. Every week. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like throw, I feel like throwbacks are fine. Yeah, that's true. That, that's good. If, if you if it's like, you know, it sometimes it looks weird if you put your own name on a jersey, but like like what your grandpa did, that's cool, you know? Like, yeah. That's I don't it's know. tough. It's don't it, put it's a tough. nickname on it. Like yeah. don't be like, oh Scooby Doo or I don't I don't know. That would be great. I would love to put Scooby Doo. <laughs> I, I have a lot of jerseys. I have a good amount of jerseys too. Uh, it's yeah. a, kind of a sore spot to talk about with uh, with my wife. I'm kind of wondering why I have as many jerseys as I do, but I've just kind of accumulated them over time a bit. But yeah, let's uh, let's move on to the next one. Not talk Fair about enough. my jersey collection anymore. I kind of want to talk about your jersey collection. I'll be honest with you. It's but, pretty um, sick, actually. I got a Canadiens jersey. Um, that's not what I would have opened with for being sick. But I mean, what Montreal? <laughs> it's a Habs jersey, man. Like I got no it at a Goodwill. I mean, I, yeah, that's true. That's a, that's a really good point. I've got some good ones though. I've got some really good. Ones. I got an Ernie Banks throwback jersey See, in there. See, why don't you open with that? That's cool. I've got a Cam Newton jersey. I've got a that's Tebow not, jersey. What's in the hell? What do you have? A, from what Cam Newton jersey do you have? You I was I was given those jerseys. I actually did not purchase those. It was a Panthers jersey. And then I've got a Tebow Flora jersey that I was given a while back as well. Why have you never worn that? I wore, I think I wore it once. I think I wore it once or twice. I was going to hopefully, I, I save jerseys because I want to I want to hang them. I want to hang them when I get, you know, a basement with a man cave and stuff like that. But That's not in really, a nice way. Like put them up with push pins around, around your No, room, no, no, no. Like I want to actually get them like, some of them I'd like to get framed because they're in, you know, decent shape and stuff. And yeah. That's kind of what's been my excuse of why we can't get rid of this jersey. Don't, yeah, don't get rid of it. That's cool. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, let's see here. Our last question from Corey Wood on Twitter. What is the best poolside or beach drink for the end or for that end of summer vacation? 
I know you're going to disagree with this. I know you were are 100 percent going to disagree. I'm going to punch you through the. No, 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 no. Although strawberry lava flows, if you go on Royal Caribbean Cruise Line, yeah, God, um, shout out. Those are delicious. Uh, but we that's not the drink of choice. Because you were sitting at a poolside, like a poolside drink, something like that, you're not going up to the bar where it's really crowded and there's a lot of people. Swim the bar is legit. Swim the bar legit, but if it's just a situation where you can order from a waiter or waitress, they have a lot of time to be able to make your drink. I'm going with a mojito. I think a mojito is very refreshing. (laughs) Sitting by a pool, that's I crave something that I'm like, ooh, I'm thirsty and I feel like I could drink this fast. Something, something like that. You can go in a lot of different directions like that. But I feel like if, as long as they have the time, and it's not a crowded bar, some bar that's slammed with a bunch of people, yeah. there's nothing wrong with getting a mojito. I mean, I, I just I wonder what how slow it'd have to be for me to not get mad about that. Which is my own yeah, you always thing. do. Yeah, I, exactly. mojito, I mean, like mojitos were the worst to make. Um, I remember like one time we were super busy and I made one and I was like I was so pissed the entire time I was doing it and like grimacing, like I was showing with every part of emotion that I had that I was not happy about making it. And she she drinking. She goes, "Oh my god, y'all, this is so good!" And then like three other Worth people it. ordered. And I was like, "You know what? I quit." Um, for me, like you, you can't order a frozen drink if you're a man, unless you're like at a sandals, um, or I guess maybe like on a on a cruise on a cruise. Um, I guess margarita for me. Like I'm I'm a big vodka soda splash crayon, um, <laughs> like in the summer, which is. Yeah, I'll just I'll take the L on that because that is embarrassing and very basic white girl of me. But margarita for me, as long as it's not like if it's a real margarita where they make the the sour mix, not from like, you know, not like a prepackaged bottle, which is because it's just all that sugar I don't like. But if it's like fresh with lime juice, that's great. Yeah, margaritas you can't go wrong. I, I have to be in a mood for for that though. That's that's a little bit more of like I can't I wouldn't just do that every time I was like you know sitting by a pool or something like that. Fireball on the rocks. I'm get some fireball. I had, a, had some fireball a couple weekends ago. I don't know why people still consume that. It's fantastic. Um, yes, the rain is coming here in Florida at right right now, which nobody cares about, I realize. But if you hear thunder, oh, yep. Wow. There it is. There it is. Yeah, <laughs> boom. That was pretty cool. That's, that's how we draw it up. Um, we've got It Might Mean Too Much. So this one went viral last week. It was a picture of an LSU baby. Yes, what's, what's an LSU baby, you ask? Ashley Bird tweeted out a picture that she saw on her feed from Facebook. Yeah, I said that right. Rhett. His name was um, Rhett. Yeah, Rhett. Rhett. Rhett had this on Facebook a while ago, apparently. So there was a newborn baby in a blue LSU hat. And the post said, This is my firstborn son who arrived a little over 24 hours ago. He was born in Alabama, but no way he could first touch Alabama ground. So he placed his feet in the dirt from the LSU campus. Go Tigers! So... The picture, of course, is this little newborn baby in, in the hospital room walking, like making its first steps on, on this dirt. It's a, it's a perfect, it might mean too much. Before you react to this, though, I got a little bit of the backstory. The girl who tweeted the, the, um, the photo out that went viral, I asked her um, basically like where, where she got this from. And she said that um, this, this photo actually was like, is like seven years old, but for whatever reason, it just came across her feet again and just... She threw it out there on Twitter, and then it picked. The, it got viral again. The kid's seven now. So the kid's seven now. We gotta so we get need him to, on the podcast. We need to get this kid on the podcast asap. But the, the, and if you look at the photo too, the kid in the background, that's who the is best part. Probably like ten is is just looking on. Like really, he is the ultimate. It might mean too much. Look in yeah. his eyes. That's I agree with that. So stuff like this, it's 
I don't, I don't know how I feel on this because like <laughs> my family growing up, like I remember like being like eight and for some reason I had a Tennessee hat on and I wasn't allowed to get in the car. And like, like that sounds my, about right. They locked me out, which yeah, it's like that's like that stuff's kind of funny. I think and, like I don't think it's bad. What I didn't get about this is like, y'all, it's a baby. That baby can't walk. What like what parent? What parent is setting their their kid their new brand like their newborn on the ground outside? I mean, that's fair, but I sort of respect the move. I respect it a sure. little bit to have the foresight to think about that that far in advance to know. You don't want your baby's first steps to be on rival right. territory. Like, and you know Trooper, what? the wife is the real MVP because after giving birth, like giving birth to someone, her husband's like, all right, babe, I'll be back. I got to go get some dirt from campus. I'm like, excuse me? Like, because he was born in Alabama. So shout out to her. Um, we've got five-star reviews to get to, to circle back to. I told you we were going to circle back to some of these. We won't get to quite all of them just because I'm blanking on which. I know we said that we did some of these last week, but... Some that we did not get to. First one from Elise.g, subject SDS rocks. Um, and by the way, if I'm saying one of these that you know you said last week, just stop me in the I'm middle of it. Tell you. Okay, that's fine. Uh, this person, whoever, will just get double shout outs. That's cool. Um, this podcast is quality. I can listen to any one of them at any time. Well, there's two of us, but still, thank you for that. Um, it has helped me get through the off season this year. Winky face emoji. I think she meant listen to any one of the episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably, that makes more sense. You're right. You're definitely right. Sorry about um, that, Elise G. Thank you for the review, though. Yeah, that was good. I th- think we read Mudduck. Actually, I, yes. I know we did. That was, because that was such a good one. Um, yeah, that was that was a good one. Let's see. Do we okay, do from, Math, Matthew Cedro? Do we do Matthew, that one? Matthew Cedro. I don't think we did. Cedro. So the uh, subject is Go Tigers. Uh, a plus podcast for any diehard SEC fan. Betting advice from Uncle Chris keeps me. No, we did read this one. Damn, we did. Yeah. Right, oh, I'll you're right. The top one. Because we don't know how to do this yeah. job, apparently. Top one's good. Bone appetite. Is that how you say that? Sure. I think so. Bone appetite uh, from LSU Fork. Uh, it says, just like one of Coach O's delicious gumbos, SDS has the perfect ingredients to satisfy anyone's college football hunger. That was that stayed on brand with the food theme the entire time. That was good. Boom. That is an A-plus review from you, uh, LSU. Are we sure it's LSU Fork? It might be LSU Frank. It could be, yeah. It's just FRK. A little peel behind the onion there. We are doing Facebook Live Monday nights now. Marler is taking a break out of watching Bachelor in Paradise to do Facebook Live Monday nights, 8.30 p.m. Just uh, we're doing one up until up until the start of the season. Then maybe maybe a little two a week. Are we going to do that? No. What are you talking? about? Because you d- you started to do Saturday ones as well. Oh, that's right. Started. You know what? Yeah. Thank God I have you in my life. Um, Let's keep yes, it honest. I we probably will do them during the year uh, on Saturday mornings. That's like more strictly gambling. But um, yes, that is that is true. We will go to two. Perfect. Um, if you have not joined our new Facebook group group yet, can we call it new anymore? We probably shouldn't. It's like four months old by this point, but I'm just going to keep calling it new because yeah, as Barney sure. Stinson says, newer is always better. Join our new Facebook group. It is the Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook. Make sure that you're following us on Instagram. Had a lot of great Instagram co- uh, content from you over the weekend. The stuff Good about weekend. the transfer portal, uh, some of the stuff about the home field advantage that we were planning on talking about today, but then we heard about the Tate Martell stuff, and we're like, we got to pivot away from that. Make sure that you are checking out Saturday Down South on Instagram. Make sure that you are following us on Twitter at the SDS Pod at C Marler SDS at CJ O'Gara. Might have a very fun guest 
for the podcast yeah. later in the week. Still working on logistics for that, but hoping that this guest comes through would be potentially an all-time guest, and hopefully we could get him on later if it weren't able to, to set up later in the week. But, Coach Joe, I know you love those reviews right there. Um, we're gonna we're gonna see you. Uh, we're gonna see you real soon, like in the next few oh, weeks. Oh, how is he? You know I sleep on this porch. See me sleep. See me sleep. See me awake. I'm at Santa Claus. It might be too much. Talk to you later this week.